Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out with me. I will be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that are often bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So sit back and relax, or you know what? Sit up and freak out. However, you prefer to listen. Let's go. I've been performing professionally since the age of six. And so that means I have been doing it for 40, what is that? 47. <laughs> Wait, is that right? I'm 53. Yeah, 53, minus six is 47. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Two prime numbers, by the way. And I actually have done all kinds of fucking performances. And yet, thanks to the fact that I am married and in service to someone who happens to crank out a couple of operas every few years, I'm now going to be starring in an opera. But Melina, you say, you are not a fucking opera singer. This is true, and I'm still not an opera singer. However, because my husband is a mad genius, he often puts speaking roles in adjacent to and alongside the singing roles, which once I thought about it absolutely made sense because voices, even when speaking, have a musicality to them. Well, they do if you're interesting, right? May I interrupt you just for a moment? You've already done. Yes, I do it. And I, please, <laughs> please listen to the melody of her speech and to the rhythm. How beautiful this melody is, and how exciting the rhythm. What she's doing with the dynamic is with louder and softer. This is, even if you would not understand any word of English, this would be a great music. No. Please continue with your music. <laughs> it's hard for me to trust you because you love me so perfectly. And I'm always like, he just says that because he loves me. He's just like the loving guy. And then I have to separate that from the fact that that might be true, but it's also true that you're not going to put your entire career on the line <laughs> to put me in a piece just because I have big titties. I mean, you might. I'm very, very nervous about this. and About my titties? About the combination of being in love and make music for this person. And I know that you are a great artist and it's wonderful that the person which I love is a great artist. But I have to confess, if you would not be a great artist, I would not write an opera for you. But I would love you in the same way as I do now. Hmm. Thank you, Mr. Sir. I know that because... Well, tell the story of how you discovered that you yeah. came to believe I was a great artist. I was afraid. I knew she did these storytellings story and they were also recorded by the by broadcasting company. And I really did not dare to hear them. I was afraid... What is, if this is kitschy, bad, and not a really good text, and just horrible, just bad art, 
and I was afraid that this would hurt me. <laughs> and then I, uh, because if you love somebody, you want that this person is the best in every way. And then I decided, okay, now is the time I have to listen to it. At, yeah, at, at what point in our relationship was this, Mr. Professor? Was it approximately one year? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So we spent the first year of our relationship completely in the dark about anything that I, anything about my performance ability, none of my performances, nothing, nothing. Well, I have seen your seminars and these were, they were amazing. Okay, well. I knew you are an amazing teacher and you're a great human being and a wonderful communicator. But then as I listened to this story about the hyena and about the time Molina had in the rehab, and I was deeply touched and immediately I knew this is something which I have to do out loud. And I repeat, not something which I want to do, something which I have to do. This must be this quality of the text, this quality of the human intention. This quality of, yeah, of the musical quality of her language, of her voice, this definitely needs to be integrated in uh, composition. And we did this first example with this, it was Hyena, and I was absolutely clear this is only the first step. The second step should be that in an opera she is speaking. This is not new. And my Opera Nacht from 1995, 1996. I had a speaking, but this speaking was, was notated. The tradition is Arnold Schoenberg did in the Survivor from Warsaw. What does that mean, notated? It is, Rüsen was very clear. Ah, so they dictated how, dictated exactly how you had to speak and the, yeah. like that. Sort and, of, yeah. and exactly the rhythm and approximately the pitch. So for example, mm. the, the, the first performer was not an actor. No, I was about to say most, well, there's plenty of musical actors, right? Like there's plenty of actors who are also musical. Yeah. You know, like if you work in musical theater, of course you read music. Of course yeah, but, you, you know. Sorry, but to sing or speak my music when it is composed, it is not enough if you are just a musical actor. You must be a specialist for new music and you must be able to realize these very complicated reasons. Right. And the first performer was somebody who had this double, this double ability. Yeah. And the second performer, it was even a singer and a wonderful singer, a singer which you have, which you both have seen in a beautiful performance in Berlin of Porte Verdes Orfeo, Georg Niki. Oh yes, and your 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 secret crush. <laughs> and also there was a moment uh, the singer who spoke, the singer of the first performance said, "Okay, well, I'm willing to speak, but you must give me a chance to show what I'm able to sing." And so towards the end of the opera. See, this is why you don't deal with singers, right? Uh, this is uh, <laughs> uh, I made. And it's very beautiful. You have had this person speaking for one hour and ten minutes, and now suddenly he starts to sing an aria. It's very strong, and it's also the yay espresso machine. Machine the background. Is well, no, the espresso machine has a right to be making an appearance. <laughs> it is a character in our lives. Yeah. 
And but this combination of speaking and singing in this function was very important for me. In another opera, Bluthouse, uh, there are singers and actors, and these actors are only speaking, and they have to learn to speak at the correct time. Right, it's and very tight in very terms tight. of they're taking their cues from the conductor in the no, same way that the musicians they would. No, that, no, that they don't take the cues from the conductor, they take the cues from the orchestra. For example, his name, this doctor, I forgot his name. I, are you sure? Because I'm 99% sure I saw gestures from the conductor to the singers. Uh, well, I mean, to the people on stage. They are in addition, uh, but it is composed in that way uh, that each sing, uh, actor is connected with one special percussion instrument. Right, like those little wood blocks with little, little, wood blocks little clinkety and, things. And, yeah. and this... This also was in, was in relationship to the quality of the libretto because the, <laughs> yeah yes because Klaus and Klaus composed really what the speakers are doing and and the, the rhythm of this and the sequence was really was very well done and I just transformed this into this opera but the way it is I have my experience right but in this opera which I wrote for you it is different because I know the quality of your abilities as a performer is related to the fact that you are able to speak freely. Therefore, you get, as I did it in Haina, you get a cue, here you start, and then you speak. Right. But there's one moment where I use a very special ability which you do have. Because Molina is, she's a genius. And because she's a genius. I can't stand this pressure. I can, she's uh, a genius. Because she's a genius, she also has perfect pitch. Okay. And I decided I will use this. And there's a, the libretto, it is, there's a bad guy, it's a colonizator, colonizer, yeah. a Prospero. And he is also a magic, as Molina Sikorax is a magic. And then he is singing with his loud opera voice, a long pitch, beautiful as, so beautiful as a opera singer is able to sing. What scene is that? This is when he is alone with Ariel. Yeah. And he is trying to fix Ariel or to, or to, right, right, right. Or to remove Ariel. And Ariel just laughs and stays right. because his spell does not work. Right. And then later when... Sikurax, Molina is coming. This, she has to speak always amplified. But now is a moment where she stops with the amplifying. Everything is quiet. She is singing with her natural voice. She is not an opera singer. There's just that normal voice of a normal human being. And she sings this in the correct pitch. Then the orchestra picks this pitch up and the music continues. This spell works. And here is the ability of Molina, is for me the, the center of this composed everything around it. Which makes me so, I, I can't, this is the thing. You say that, like, oh, perfect pitch, whatever, and people are like, uh, uh, I don't understand why this is a big deal. Doesn't everyone hear in their head the note and then say it? Like, how else do you sing? Like, I, for example, don't have perfect pitch. I hear the relationship between the 
Oh, so you go from one to the other. Oh, so that's why. Oh, but see, that's that to me seems even more complicated. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Right, like that, like. Uh, yeah, okay. sorry. If you have no perfect pitch, you have to arrange something. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, what also helps me to to identify the, the pitches is the sound sound quality, because the sound quality of a C is it might be different right. uh, from a C sharp, right. and this helps a little bit. But so this was interesting because when the first time I was told this was I was doing my my theater company. Fire was doing a musical. I, I did sing a song, but I was like, I'm an actor. I can sell it. It doesn't have to be pretty. I was like the sea witch and evil and like, eh, but there was one point where we had a choral piece and David said to like the other people, several of whom were singers. He was like, okay, take this note off of Mo. And I'm like, don't take the note off of me. There's three professional singers right here. And he goes, yeah, but you have perfect pitch. And then they can take it the note off of you. And I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? He goes, you know, the note. Like, of course I know the note. We all know the note. We're all singing it. And he's like, no, that's not how it works. It's the whole thing. And so I was like, I don't. And I'm looking at the other singers. I'm like, you guys don't do that. And they're like, no, fuck you, bitch. And then how we illustrated it was he said, okay, sing the song in your head. And when I point to you, you sing the note that you're on. And I was like, like, if you were singing happy birthday, it would be like someone singing happy birthday. You, to Melina, like, right, like jumping in at the right spots. And he was like, no, the fact that you can do that, because since I can't read music, he couldn't point to a note and say, sing this. So that was his way of sh- of demonstrating what that meant, right? He goes, you can sing the note just from memory. Very nice to you. You have only to memorize one single pitch. In the <laughs> but which note in happy birthday is it? <laughs> Known because it's a chord on higher than C. What does that mean? It's a high note? You know my voice is low. Chordodon is very, it's a low note, but chordodon is a very small interval. This is what amuses me, is that you act like you're not a sadist, and then you do long game sadism. You've been doing this scene with me for like a year now, and it's going to go on for another four months. <laughs> yes. But it's also, if you are a good sadist, and I hope I will be a good sadist in this. Oh, dear. And then at the very end, the masochist has a lot of fun with it. Mm-hmm. And believe me, it's, I just, I know you, darling. I know that you love to stay in the center. I know, love imagine the situation. Nobody dares to make any noise. And then Molina Lee Williams House is singing one pitch. And the full orchestra is speaking it up. You will love it. All right, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, when you say it like that, it does sound pretty hot. I got to say, that's fine. That's good. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, of course, I'm very nervous. And it is the first opener in my life where my main interest is not the interest of the composer. My main interest in this performance is that my beloved wife is able to show all her abilities which she does have. And 
I'm practicing this and we have practiced it for some months now. <laughs> and how it is that I try really to support her and I really have this in my head. Well, Georg, I know I am the master, I'm the most important person in the world and I have a lot of problems and I need my lovely wife, my lovely slave to help me to survive. <laughs> But now, until October 2nd, This has changed, and the center of all is the service which my slave gives to me, and I give to my slave to sing this opera, or speak this opera, perform this opera as strong and as beautiful as possible. And I appreciate that because, I mean, not to go into gruesome bit by bit detail, but the last trip that we had when you had several performances about which you were very apprehensive and very nervous. And that really shook out into our relationship as well. And that was really very hard. Now I have to ask, darling, what are you speaking about? Are you speaking about uh, Portland or about Munich? Munich, that's the most recent. But it's interesting, and this has a deep resonance, especially for people in relationships where they are working together and whatever that working together is about. And you add to that the dynamic of a power exchange, and you add to that that we're both very invested in our identities as artists. It becomes very difficult when, for example, Gerb's identity as an artist is maybe being compromised by outside forces that are swirling, you know, to maybe not do things the way he wants them done. And that might not be the worst thing in the world, but for you, that feels very much like an insult and, and, and an assault, I think, against you. If you feel like people are not pulling your work in the direction that you see it. Uh, it's dangerous if we bring this discussion into the level of dominance and submission. But it's important because it it's... Not, it's not, not about the dominance. What do you mean? It is, it, I would more compare this with a doctor. Because a doctor knows you have to eat this diet and you might, be, might get healthy. And if you don't eat this diet, the result will be that you are not healthy. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, I see when music is performed, that it is not performed in that way which I compose, that's not a problem that my, my wishes are neglected. It is a problem that is just worse than it could be. And for example... Because your wishes were not respected. No, because my wishes make sense. When a doctor says, take this medicine, take this diet, the doctor knows that this diet helps you. And in the same way as a composer, I know if you play these harmonies in tune, And then it will be very strong. And if you put these instruments into a wooden box and make only an electronic amplifying of it, then somebody will <laughs> perceive this as one critic said in this opera. He was reminded on cow talk, which we never would be reminded on. Reminded on. Krautrock, oh, yes. Yeah. And this is absolutely not what I have. Hold on, do you guys, are you guys okay with that cold kraut thing? Is that, does that not bother you? Well, Well, it wasn't you, really. It was the Germans. Me, yeah. it is But you guys eat sauerkraut, too, so you were included. Enough kraut. It's another thing. 
<laughs> but I don't love cloud rock. <laughs> you do though. You do. You like that one of the first times that you did not make a face when a song came on the radio. And I was like looking at you like, what the fuck was when fucking Falco came on and my jaw fell open that not only did you know who Falco was, but you were not. Falco is Austin. He's not cow talk. <laughs> that's no, 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 no. That's, that's absolute. That's not a war. Sorry. Is it possible? Cow is only German, not Austin. All right. Okay. I accept the correction. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> But it's important, I think, in the, and I understand your point. I very much understand your point. And I do know that you are personally, physically, and emotionally, and mentally, and spiritually impacted when people do not treat your art in the way that you feel like it needs to be treated. Yeah. Since I lost my religion, there's a huge empty space. And in this empty space is music. And I believe that music is a connection to spirituality. And if my composition is ignored and is destroyed, this is not against me. It is against this spirituality. And let's bring an example of when my last orchestra piece was a ritual where I composed the hope that the energy of human beings will be stronger than the dangers which are coming from outside. Mm. This ritual was not realized in the performance. Of course, the music was not as impressive and as strong as it would be. And of course, I can say my, I was angry. I was angry because my wishes were not fulfilled. But my real problem is that I composed a ritual that the human beings are stronger than the dangers. Let's say stronger than climate crisis, stronger than the fear of atomic war, stronger than the war in the Ukraine. And I made a ritual how this, how this, how we can with our love and with our energy mm. turn the world finally into a better thing. And this ritual was destroyed. This is not that just my music was ignored. This is much more. And let them bring another example, my opera Bluthaus. It's an opera where I composed my experience as an abused child. In the opera, the child is sexually abused. By, I was sexually abused too, but the main abusing was emotionally. And I composed my and own. And physically. And physically, yeah. And I composed this in the opera. And then, and in this opera, the mother of the abuser kills the abuser. And the stage director changed it. That the daughter probably was the murderer. That I became the murderer. And this is something which is really hurtful for me. But one of the things which I learned this is I have to escape this. Stage directors are allowed to do whatever they want, and the composer is the most unnecessary guy in this whole thing. And 
I have to accept this. Or the conductor, the conductors may do whatever they want. And if they think it's bullshit, what I have composed, then they prove that it's bullshit. And you will not be surprised if the conductor wants to prove that something is bullshit, then it's really bullshit. And then my question is now, shall I bring myself into this torture? And my decision is, no, I escape. And it makes a difference now with the Sikorax in Bern. Because in Sikorax in Bern, I'm not here because I have to defend my Opel. I'm here to support the main character. No, I mean, because also you would not be sitting through the entire rehearsal process of any opera. Of course. Like, that wouldn't even be a thing you would do. But on the same token, you're working with a conductor who you have... Absolutely, one hundred percent blind faith. Then, I mean, you know that he's not gonna. You know that he is absolutely not there to say your work is bullshit. And the thing about Boss is, if Boss does come to you and say, "Georg, bro," <laughs> then probably there's something to be looked at. Yeah, but I should, I should tell you to see what uh, how important for a composer is a conductor who supports them. This when the musicians saw this score. They protested. They said, okay, this will damage our instruments. It is the most difficult thing we have ever seen. We never will be able to do it. It's completely senseless, useless. And uh, then uh, I, the conductor and I wanted to have a first rehearsal. And after the second day of these rehearsals, the atmosphere was amazing. Now the musicians trust into the music. And believe me, that's not the composer. That's the conductor in this case. That's Bas Vigas, who helped the, no, who just believes also. And he does not believe in my, remember this launen, also in my crazy thoughts. He also believes in the spirituality which is behind. Mm-hmm. And this is what it is in art and and I'm absolutely sure that all great art which ever has been produced is about this aspect of spirituality. Interesting. I have to think about that. I'm like, huh, is that aspect of spirituality? Maybe. If we go to the, look to the traditional music of the continent which your ancestors are coming from, this is not the music which... No, I mean, yes. If we're talking about, if we're talking about like the music of the people, yeah. then absolutely. absolutely. It is not a concert. Yeah. It's prayer no, I mean, that's, technique of survival. Right, but that's true for like every fucking body because that's this is where music comes from is a desire to, to, to communicate in a way that's not words. It's like I have something to say and I can't do it with words. It's what meditation is about, all of these things. And it's part of the reason that I get so aggravated that white... European dead guys are seen as the apex of music because I'm not saying that Mozart is a fucking punter and fuck him, but I am saying that there are as many other hundreds of thousands of people who have created music that is as spiritually important or more so who will never be known because they were buried under the avalanche of colonialism like that's what makes me nuts that part makes me just go god what are we missing you know when we were in when we were in morocco and went to see the nawa performance right and we're just like sitting in this cafe and there's literally two guys with like two instruments and it was transformative and that music is for healing like that's why that music is performed and sure it's performed for the benefit of tourists 
but you cannot strip away the healing. So you can do, people can trot out their rituals for the tourists, you know, and all over the planet, people do that. It's like you go to Hawaii, you get the hula, which is a sacred dance. You go to somewhere in the Middle East and you have someone, the, the dervishes are out there twirling. Isn't this amazing? Let's take a picture. But they're still communicating with their gods. Like that is still fucking happening. And that is part of what for me is so critical about theater and why I'm so on the one hand, so excited, but also very afraid because I haven't done this ritual in years now. I haven't done a performance that wasn't just based on me in a long time. Do you know what I mean? Like I can do storytelling, but I haven't been part of a, an ensemble and a show where everyone has to coordinate their prayers so that everything comes together at once. That, that type of communication with the audience and with the higher powers and the music of the spheres and all of that other shit is that's a huge responsibility in my estimation. And I feel that weight, not in a bad way. Now that I've had a nice discussion with our director who just seems so delightful and so present and really ready to do the work. So that's cool. Yeah. And I also should add that we have said good luck that this performance is in a very small opera house. Well, it's not even an opera house. It's a black box theater. Yeah. It's a big black box theater. <laughs> so, uh, I'm not speaking about the place of the performance. I'm speaking about the organization. Right. Okay. Yeah. And the organization is a quite small theater of a, well, Bern is the capital of Switzerland, but it's still a small city. And mm -hmm. the cultural center is, of course, Zurich and then Basel and then Geneva, then Kuhl, and maybe then... Bern is not even like in the top three? Oh my God. <laughs> These places, when the musicians and the opera house understand there is something precious and special. As his experience with the same opera director, Florian Scholz, and the opera house or theater house in Klagenfurt. And Klagenfurt is comparable with Bern in the size. And what happened here is that there was such a beautiful atmosphere. And when I remember the atmosphere, which was, I guess, uh, while we were talking with the stage director, I got hungry and I made a soup for myself. And the atmosphere which I felt between you and this stage director. Julia. Is so much more human and lovely than the atmospheres which I have watched when my operas were performed in large operas. Right. And this is because, and this is part of the reason I was so fearful, is because people have an idea of what an opera needs to be. And they know how to do it. We know how to rehearse for an opera. We know how to X, Y, and Z, blah, 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 blah. I think that there's so much lost because, and this is what Giulia said that I found really because that's what I believe. I said, I think that we all can come with our diverse experiences and really bring new shit, right? Like I'm sure that there's shit about opera rehearsals that is going to be helpful for me as an actor and uh, maybe, and, but I know definitely that as a theater person, some of the, the techniques and the structure and the way that I approach character is going to be different than an opera singer. Maybe they don't take a week and write a whole life story for their characters. I don't know. Maybe they do. But they also have to worry about like hitting the note and maintaining the voice and all of this. And so the focus is very different, I feel. And so my my 
my hope, and it's been bolstered now that I had this conversation with her, is that we will all come into the room and be like, okay, this is what I've done. This is how I do this. And then the opera people go, oh, this is another one. Like, for example, every theater comp- every theater show that I've done, we always do a group warm-up. Everyone comes on stage and you spend five minutes doing jumping jacks, stretching, throwing a word around the circle, whatever it is. And I never saw any opera people do this a pre-show together thing. Maybe they did it and I never saw it, but I, we've been around for a few years and I just haven't observed that. And I was like, I wonder why they don't do that because that's such a great way to get everyone like physically on the same page. It's the reason why people, it's the reason why, it's the real reason why people, why there's prayer before football games. It's not about fucking God. It's about everyone vibing together. I think there's always a very good luck in this production. And as I see, the stage director is, first of all, a woman, and second, a woman which is open-minded and full of her. As what I, as what I perceive her approach is based on love. There exists a kind, especially of successful male stage director, who are... Yeah, who, are, <laughs> who really want to... It's a dictatorship. It's a dictatorship. And even more, they create psychological biotopes where yeah. something is realized. I remember it was my first, one of my first experiences with the Opera Nacht was performed, where two stage directors, a full rehearsal, just let the singers make jokes, um, make crazy things, have developed this into a destructive way to manipulate them to get into this this, uh, headspace, to direct them into this headspace which he wants to get. This is why I'm so optimistic in this production in Bern, because I see that Julia is... uh, a human being which is really open-minded to listen and to see what the humans are doing with yeah. what thing, what the humans. When we have had this example, we had this personal contact with one of the stage assistants and the stage director told this assistant, please understand, I, the stage director, I'm an alpha male. And those, and he spoke about the composer, those are dogs and cats. And I think this is a very realistic thing that sometimes happens in the reality of hope. Mm. And uh, that, uh, one of the things why I'm so afraid to bring myself into this structure, but I see that Julia does not see me as a dog and cat, and not her Jasmine, and not you, and <laughs> ah, well, that's what you get for working with cis white men. Sorry, I'm a cis white man too. And are you? Are you them? Are you them? Okay, no, I'm not. I'm an old lesbian. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you are, though. You are an old lesbian. I mean, just embrace it. There's nothing wrong with it. This was the best ending. <laughs> You've been listening to All That and Mo. 
Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb. Theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss. And I look forward to spending time with you again really soon. Mm-hmm.